Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. This is episode number 1126 with number one New York Times bestselling author, Gary Zukav. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Sadhguru said, if you are constantly aware of your mortal nature, you will only do what truly matters. And Oprah said, the thing you fear most has no power. Your fear of it is what has the power. Facing the truth really will set you free. My guest today is Gary Zukav, who is the author of four consecutive New York Times bestselling books, including the number one New York Times bestseller, The Seat of the Soul. This book led the way to seeing the alignment of the personality and the soul as the fulfillment of life and captured the imagination of millions. And his books have sold 6 million copies and are published in 32 languages. And Gary's written a new book called Universal Human, which is about the new era of human evolution and offers a vision of what a world based on love could be and an invitation to begin bringing such a world into being now. And this episode was inspiring. We discussed how to develop what Gary calls authentic power in your life, how to find peace in the positive when negative things are happening around you, how fear is controlling most of our lives and what we can do about it, why intentions are the most important factor for transforming your life, and so much more. If you're enjoying this at any moment, make sure to share this with someone that you think would be inspired by it as well. You can copy and paste the link lewishouse.com slash 1126, or just use the link wherever you're listening to this episode and share it with a friend. Post it on social media and make sure to tag me and Gary as well. And if this is your first time here, please click the subscribe button over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify right now so you can stay up to date on the latest and greatest on the School of Greatness podcast. And in just a moment, I bring you the one and only Gary Zukov. Welcome back, everyone, to the School of Greatness. I'm very excited about our guest, Gary Zukov, is in the house. Good to see you, Gary. How you doing? I'm fine, Lewis. It's good to see you. I, I'm so grateful that you're here. I'm so grateful for you, the mission that you've been on your entire life to serve humanity. And uh, you've impacted millions of people around the world with your book and your messages. And um, and the first question I have for you is something I've been sensing in the world with a lot that's been happening is that people are starting to waken up in, in a lot of areas in their life. And they're it seems like there's been a lot of stress in relationships specifically, intimate relationships, business partnerships, family dynamics, friendship dynamics in the world. But specifically with intimate relationships, if people feel like they are stuck or in a rut in an intimate relationship and they're not sure of what the next steps they should take, what's your thoughts on how they should approach moving forward to see if that's the right mm. relationship for them? If any of your relationships are not intimate, take a look at why they're not. Because when I talk about spiritual partnership, which is partnership between equals for the purpose of spiritual growth, we have that kind of partnership. I have that kind of partnership with uh, my granddaughters, our granddaughters, Linda's and mine. I have that kind of partnership with the people who are uh, working with us, or I'd like to think co-creating with us. Uh, you can have a spiritual partnership um, in class. 
You can have it on a ball team. Um, so if your life and intimacy is not just physical intimacy, I used to be addicted to sex. And I used to thought that was intimate. It is not. I want to say to everyone who's listening to us, it is not. And, uh, and thank you for saying that my entire life has been dedicated um, to helping humanity. Um, <laughs> that's true in a way. Uh, the life that I have left in the Earth School is dedicated to helping people understand a major transformation in consciousness that is underway now and affects everything that we do, our relationships, the way we look at ourselves, the world, the universe, uh, the way we understand power, the way we understand community, the way we understand everything. And that, uh, since I began to realize that, that's when I committed myself to to contributing what I could to this transformation of consciousness. But the transformation is creating us. We're not creating the transformation. It's happening. Right. So if, if, if I may, I'd, I'd like to start out by saying to everyone who's listening to us, uh, I'm, uh, I am not asking you to believe anything that I say. And in fact, I suggest that you don't believe it just because I'm saying it. Uh, and in fact, I'd suggest that you don't believe anything that anyone says just because they have a pulpit or a television show or a microphone or they've written a book or you've known them for a long time or someone else has see what you resonate with mm. as they speak and if you resonate with anything that i say take it into your heart experiment with it and if it produces results that you like experiment some more mm -hmm. and if it doesn't throw it away let it go don't I'm try curious. to wear a shoe that pinches yeah <laughs> how long were you a sex addict for <laughs> i'd say well uh i'm trying to think was it a third of my life a half my life <laughs> Half my life is half my life is closer to it. But for me, when I was addicted to sex, um, the women that I was drawn to were drawn to me mm -hmm. because we both wanted the same thing to use one another. It was part of my process of of moving past of challenging that addiction was when I first recognized that when I was addicted to sex, I thought I was cool. I thought mm -hmm. I had it. I was living in San Francisco and motorcycles were a big part of my life. Drugs were a big part of my life. Um, nothing major like heroin or opium. But outside of those, I experimented with a lot of them. And, um, and I was, when somebody is too frightened to even admit or acknowledge that they're frightened, the street name for that is macho. Mm. And I was macho. That's what led me to, into the army to be a Green Beret officer, to go to Vietnam. So the addiction to sex, like an addiction to anything, in my experience, alcohol, drugs, shopping, masturbating, pornography, gambling, perfectionism is an experience of fear. And every experience of fear is an experience of pain. Mm. And that's why anyone who has healed an addiction, uh, to me, I'm, I'm, I'm in awe of that person mm. because healing an addiction is one of the ultimate spiritual accomplishments. Why is it so hard to heal an addiction? Well, now we come to the heart of it. At the core experience of every human, whether it's multi-sensory, and we'll go into what that means if, if you like, and five sensory, which is self-explanatory, people whose perception, whose perception is limited to the five senses. All of us have this core experience of feeling inadequate, and that's an understatement. Wanting to be loved and feeling unlovable. Wanting to love and feeling that we're not capable. Feeling as though you don't want anyone to see you the way you see yourself inside because they wouldn't want anything to do with you. 
of feeling intrinsically flawed, inherently defective. And this is excruciating. It's needing. Why do we feel that way so much? I'm not a metaphysical person, although it sounds that way sometimes. I'm a practical person. And so what I know is this is so. And you can look inside yourself and see. And this experience is excruciating. Mm. Most people do everything they can to avoid it. And all of those avoidances you will recognize immediately as expressions of fear after we talk about fear. They become angry, vengeful, resentful, jealous. They feel superior and entitled. They feel inferior and need to please. They try to impress with more money, education, longer legs, um, in every way to manipulate and control others, to gain recognition. So they get education, they money. It, all of this, all of these things that we all know so well, perhaps we didn't recognize so well as fear. And we can do that now because of this epic, unprecedented transformation in human consciousness that is underway right now. And it's touching hundreds of millions of people. And within a few generations, everyone will have this new consciousness. So if it's touching you, be aware that you're not losing your mind, you're gaining your sanity. There's something good, wholesome, healthy that's emerging in you. And you're, you're, if, if, for example, your perception, this, this new transformation of consciousness is not mystical or esoteric. It's the expansion of our awareness beyond the limitations of the five senses. That's, let me give you some examples. Have you ever sensed that you're more than a mind and a body? Yeah. Yeah. Hundreds of millions of us have that sense that maybe there's a part of you even that existed before you were born and that will exist after you die. And that's not just Buddhist or Hindu. It's a larger context beginning to appear in your awareness that you're part of a larger fabric and it's drawing you, you know it. Have you ever looked at the world and thought, maybe my experiences in the world are not just random. Maybe all the time I've spent trying to avoid bad luck and pray for good luck can be super, or have been, are being superseded by another perception in which everything that I experience serves me. Now, that's a big one to think about. If you get cancer, is that serving you? If your child has cancer, is that serving you? If you've been betrayed, is that serving you? And the answer is yes. Yes, it is. Why is it, so, why is it so hard for us to realize that or recognize that when we're in the moment of so much pain and overwhelm and stress and questions? Why did this person kill my child? Why did my partner have cancer and die? Why, you know, why these things that maybe don't make sense? How do we make sense of them? It's not making sense of them, although that happens. That happens. It's seeing, seeing how that serves you. Mm. Everything that you experience in the earth school, let's call it that, which is a, a span between the day, your, your birthday and your death day. Mm. Everything that happens to you within that span, which is a span of experience in a domain of time and space and matter and duality, serves you in bringing the consciousness of your soul into the awareness of your personality. Mm. And many of these experiences are experiences that the personality would not choose, would not choose. And the pain that that comes from these parts of your per the parts of your personality that originate in fear put it that way is real is real heartache is not poetical it is real uh, and when someone close to you passes on that sense of grief and loss and pain and despair and anger at the universe those are difficult experiences but when you have experiences like that and everyone does know that each of those experiences are blessings now, let me spell that out each of those experiences are communications you might say from your soul and what they're communicating is this. You are now experiencing a part of yourself, an aspect of your personality that 
you need to experience fully and move beyond the control of in order to give the gifts that you were born to give. Wow. And probably you've all, we've all met people who've had cancer or they've lost a leg or an athlete that's been crippled. And they can say later, I'm so grateful for that. Mm -hmm. It couldn't at the time, but they can now. Well, as you become multi-sensory, you can even say it at the time. Mm -hmm. That's creating authentic power. Wow. And everything that Linda and I, that's my spiritual partner. And by the way, uh, I consider anyone who wants to have relationships of substance and depth, anyone who is looking inside themselves to change themselves for the better rather than blame the world or credit the world for their pain or their joy. Uh, those are potential spiritual partners, equals who uh, are together for the purpose of spiritual growth, which means yeah. creating authentic power. How can we, in a moment of pain and tragedy, worldly tragedy, find peace and grace and say, this is happening for me, and instead of, why did this happen to me? Sometimes grace comes, and grace is a temporary experience, a gift from the universe that allows you to experience your life as it would be without fear, mm. and the pain is gone, and you see what's happening, but the pain is gone, and then grace leaves you, and the pain rushes back in. Mm. Now, when you have an experience of grace, your responsibility, if you take it, is to make that experience permanent, mm -hmm. is to create that as an ongoing, stabilized life that you are living. Well, for example, uh, I was adopted, Linda and I were adopted into the Lakota culture, culture about 30 years ago because some work I was invited to do with Native American youth. And the more I become familiar with Aboriginal cultures, the more I, I sense how grounded they are, mm. how wise they are. Now, these are the cultures. I'm not talking about all the people in them because so many of the people in them have grown up in generation of sexual abuse, alcoholism, poverty, squalor, but still the culture exists in many, and there it's a treasure. So I'll get back to one thing I learned, which was uh, about a vision quest. So I took one, mm. and I had experiences on this vision quest that were startled me. And afterwards, everyone in Lakota who's in the, the culture, the real culture that's still alive, knows that... When you go on a vision quest, which is they call crying for a vision, humble H-E-L-P in Lakota, it means not weeping. It means just tell me, God, please, mm. universe creator, why am I alive? Mm. Why am I here? What can I give? And when you, not everyone gets a vision, but when you do, then it's your responsibility to bring it into your life and make it real mm. all the time. So that's the first answer to your question. Yeah. What do we do when the pain knocks us to our knees? That doesn't happen to a lot of people, but it happens. So I wanted to wanted to say that. Yeah. If you're like me, I've had experiences of grace, but my growth has been more incremental. Instantaneous <laughs> <laughs> blessing from the universe. So what do you do when that pain comes? You experience it. And then some people say, Oh my God, Gary, come on. It can't get any it can't hurt anymore. So tell me something helpful. I'm talking about emotional awareness in real terms, not I can't, I can't take it anymore. I can't live anymore. This is excruciating or I'm happy. I'm joyful. I feel bubbly light. Those are just labels to really get to know your emotional currents requires being able to experience and articulate them in terms of physical sensations in your body, physical sensations. So when you're feeling any emotion, so we're talking about painful emotions now, Turn your attention inside yourself, in your body. Put them into specific areas in your body. There's only seven of them. I'll, we'll talk about three for convenience. Your throat area, mm -hmm. your chest area, your solar plexus area. And look for physical sensations. If you find painful physical sensations, then you know that fear is active in you. 
you know, a painful physical sensation. Physical sensations are just that. They're not, I feel good, they feel bad, they feel light, they feel heavy. No, they sting, they stab, they throb, they ache, Mm -hmm. they churn, they burn. So find those in yourself. So when, when you feel the pain in your body, maybe you feel, and I've felt this many times, uh, specifically in interactions and intimate relationships where I felt like strangled in my throat when no one was touching me or like a weight on my chest or something pressing my heart or eczema flaring up or something like that when I have been afraid to say what I need to say, when I've lacked courage to stand up for myself, when I've constantly abandoned my inner child over and over and over again by trying to please someone else as opposed to do what I need to do for myself. So when we feel this pain, throbbing, burning, churning, all these things you said, how long are we supposed to experience this? I mean, you know, is this, do we experience this for months and years? Do we experience it for moments and then let it go? How do we get past and beyond it back into mission, purpose, uh, vision? You know, how do we go back to a greater sense of who we are as opposed to a painful sense of where we are? That's the second step in creating authentic power that you're asking for. The first step is emotional awareness. Okay. The answer to the question is, how long do we stay in it? That depends on you. <laughs> so, so number one is being emotional, being aware of the feelings and the sensations within your body. Yeah. Emotional awareness is not emotional intelligence. This is emotional awareness somatically in terms of your body. Your body will not lie to you. Mm-hmm. Once, when I, a long time ago, I was at a coffee shop with someone and I didn't know. We were just talking. He said, oh, you're jealous. I said something and I said, no, not me. Come on. That's, that's not me. He was right. Mm. I didn't know it. I didn't know. Of course, I knew I was angry. But so get to know yourself. And it's painful. Mm. It's painful. That's why creating authentic power requires commitment and courage and conscious communications and commission. Mm. So when you're feeling any emotion and you look inside yourself and you have the courage to do that, that's the first step in courage. Okay. It takes a lot. Then the next step is to recognize that you are in a frightened part of your personality. That's shorthand for saying a part that originates in fear, like anger, jealousy, resentment, all the things that we mentioned before, addiction, compulsion, obsession. Then in that moment, reach for the healthiest part of your personality that you can. Now, that would be, for example, a part of your, that's a part of your personality that's aligned with your soul. That's a part of your personality that you experience as gratitude or appreciation, caring or contentment, patience, awe of the universe. Reach for one of those parts of yourself. Reach for it. it the best that you can while you're experiencing the frightened mm-hmm. power. What does that do for you when you are experiencing pain or resentment or anger or frustration, betrayal, and you focus on gratitude and appreciation at the same time? What starts to happen? Well, it's always a good thing to do, but I wouldn't focus on uh, labeling like she betrayed me, he embezzled from me, Uh, I expected more from him, all all of those kind of things. Look, go underneath that and look at what you're feeling. That's emotional awareness. Leave the terms behind. After a while, you'll know these experiences with a new intimacy. You won't need to call it anger. You just say, there it is. Mm. That's what you're challenging. That's what you're challenging, Lewis. Then while you're feeling it, you will be feeling the full power, the magnetic attraction of a frightened part of your personality. They are powerfully magnetic and righteous. Every frightened part of your personality (laughs) is fully justified and doing what it's doing, whether it's manslaughter, murder, whether it's getting back, getting even, shouting, lashing out, showing who's on top. All of these things are painful and destructive experiences. Destructive when you act on them. Mm -hmm. If you act in that energy, you will create consequences that will be painful for you to experience and destructive. 
you always create consequences when you act. But what creates the consequences is the intention with which you act. And in the earth school, there's only two intentions, bedrock, that you can't get in farther, you can't get deeper, love and fear Mm. and emotion. Yeah. So there's only two intentions, making a decision and acting from love or acting from fear. That's it. If if, if you're not making a conscious decision, you're acting from fear. Mm. That's why it's a good idea to become conscious <laughs> because acting from fear creates painful and destructive consequences and acting with love creates the opposite, constructive, blissful how does, consequences. How does someone know when they're acting from love and not fake love? Fake love is fear. Everything is either love or it's fear. And by the way, uh, I, I am not the originator of any of all or any of this. This comes from the universe and it's my joy to share it in a way that I hope will be helpful for you. And the only way you'll know is to try it. And the first step is in recognizing now that you resonate with some of it. You wouldn't still be listening to this if you weren't resonating with it. Right. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too. In person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Because if you were five sensory, uh, five sensory humans don't yet don't have within their experience uh, ways to attach onto these words we're saying. There's nothing in their experience that gives them validity or makes them real. And so it sounds like new age fluff or poof or uh, someone trying to manipulate me. Mm-hmm. But when, as you become aware of your expanded perception, as you become multi-sensory, then these things uh, have a, sen- uh, a sense of meaning. They call to you. Now, here's the thing. Uh, the first time you do this, you might not even be able to do it. For example, mm-hmm. I-, I was so angry for all of my life. Most of it, not all. Uh, really? 
Yes. Until when did you stop becoming so angry? When I started to realize that the world isn't what I thought it was and that I'm creating everything that I'm experiencing in it. And if I don't want to create more of it, if I don't want to spend the rest of my life shaking my fist at the universe and raging at it, I better do something myself mm. because it's not because the universe, I mean, it's not that the universe is ignoring me in my rage. It's continuing to allow, I'm con it's showing me that as long as I experience it, I have things to learn from it. Mm. This is the way the earth school works. It doesn't reward you with a gift to heaven or to another domain of existence that's superior. It doesn't punish you in similar ways. The universe doesn't look in terms of good and bad bad, right, wrong, success, failure. It looks in terms of cause and effect. Every cause creates an effect and every effect has a cause. And if you participate in the cause, you participate in the effect. And I don't say will participate in it. You participate in it. They happen together. Mm. Your experience of the effect may take some time in the earth school. It may take a few days. It may take a month. It may happen immediately because your partner gets angry and shouts. It may take centuries, but every cause has an effect. And in the earth school, as we become multi-century, we begin to realize exactly what those causes are. They are intentions. Mm. Now, an intention is a quality of consciousness that infuses your deed and your word. And that's what you can choose. You can't choose what you're going to feel in the next moment, but you can choose what you're going to do about it when it comes. Yeah. And what I'm suggesting is that you create authentic power. First, scan. Apply emotional awareness that you've been developing and you have to develop it. Then if it's fear you're in and it's very evident because you hurt a lot in that moment, reach for the healthiest part of your personality that you can mm -hmm. do what you can. For example, I was so angry at, at people, uh, at the world uh, for so, such a long time that if I was angry, I had no hesitation about lashing out. In fact, it was a part of my identity. I would say, yeah, I'm angry. I've always been angry. I'm always going to be angry. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> and, it and I didn't realize, Lewis, I didn't realize what I was doing. I didn't realize that I was pushing people away. And I had all that time. Because if you're doing that, people won't open themselves to you. They won't allow themselves to be vulnerable. They won't allow themselves to get, to get close. And not only that, the only people that you're going to experience in your life are people that are like you. Because mm. everyone in my life was like me. They were intellectual, superior, arrogant, angry. Competitive, yeah. Very, yeah. yeah. So, how, how, how old were you when you realized that anger was not the answer anymore and actually started to integrate more peaceful responses as opposed to holding on to anger? Yeah, well, more healthy responses for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, it didn't happen to me like that. I didn't think, uh, wow. Uh, this anger is no good. I've got to do something about this. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't happen that way. It happened when I wrote a book on physics. Mm. I got invited to the Lawrence Berkeley Laboratory uh, when I was living in San Francisco for a Friday afternoon meeting of physicists. And I went because I wanted to see what they looked like. I mean, I never liked science. I couldn't, I can't do mathematics, but I was curious. And this group of 10 or 12 physicists was discussing the question, are we creating the reality that we're experimenting with? They weren't discussing mathematics during that meeting. It was a qualitative, not a quantitative discussion. And I could not believe my ears. These, this was exactly the kind of question that I discussed with my friends in coffee shops in North Beach. Mm. What was the question again? Are we creating the reality that we're experimenting with? Mm. And I, I came home after that meeting so excited. I felt like I'd had two cups of cappuccino and they were all sparking off my fingertips, all of that energy. And I 
I could not explain what was exciting me. Hmm. And I couldn't for weeks. All I knew is I, I couldn't sit still. I couldn't. I, it was so exciting. And I knew I was on to something. But, and I knew what it was, but I couldn't explain it. I didn't know what it was because I couldn't explain it. But so I asked them if, if they would let me come back. And they said, yes. The organizer of this meeting was my age. And, well, none of them were very much older. This was a long time ago. And, but you know, that's interesting. Time is interesting. Mm. When you look at your memories and you think, wow, that happened 10 years ago, not in your consciousness. It's still happening. It happened yesterday. That's how crisp and clear it is. Mm. But I'm diverted a little bit. I, okay. want to come back. I want to go back to the central question. What do you do when you wake up in your life and you develop emotional awareness and you find yourself in fear? This is natural because when you become aware in your life, you become aware of everything. You don't just become aware of joy and happiness and gratitude and all the good things that are happening. You don't even judge. You become aware of everything. You start to see everything in a different light. You see what's there for the first time and you see your experiences in a different light. While you're experiencing the pain of a frightened part of your personality, you reach for the healthiest part. And that's what I'm saying. When I first started doing this, if I were angry before, I had no hesitation in lashing out. Then when I was challenged my, challenging my anger, my, all I might be able to do is just stand and with my jaw clenched, my fist clenched by my side and just not say anything, just not talk and just do it, just not talk. And I didn't realize what a big step that was mm. because it put me in a different universe of people. Uh, until then, I was in a universe of people who were angry and they lashed out whenever they felt wrong. Mm. Like Then I started drawing to me people who were angry like me, but determined not to be controlled by their anger. Mm. It's a different world. Then gradually I could begin to relax a little bit when I was angry. Then unclench my teeth. Then eventually start to listen. It was a process, a process of continually challenging this frightened part of my personality that we're calling anger. Mm. So when you're creating authentic power, it's not an event, it's a process. Or at least if you're like me, it's incremental. Yeah. And the first time you create it in the second and fourth and 10th, maybe not that much happens, but you know that you're doing something big because until that moment, this part has controlled you. This part of your personality has controlled you. Mm -hmm. Eventually, that part of you move beyond the control of that part of your personality. It still comes. You still feel it. You still think the thoughts, but it doesn't penetrate you the way it used to. It's, it, it runs off your back. like mm -hmm. it, It's more like water running off the feathers of a duck. And you begin, it loses its control over you. That's the creation of authentic power. Eventually, you move beyond the pain because you move into love and love is not painful. But the purpose of creating authentic power is not to escape from pain. The purpose of creating authentic power is to be able to move through your life with an empowered heart without attachment to the outcome. Mm. That's our evolutionary path now. That we, is where yeah. we are going. How do you create high engagement or high involvement and low attachment with everything you're doing? Where you're all in, present, giving, co-creating with what's happening in the moment, but unattached with the result or the, or, or the person or the the vision of this relationship working out a certain way and then it doesn't work out or a business or an idea and then it's it, it falls short from some, in some reason. How do you... It, short, it falls short of something and the something is your expectations. Uh -huh. And it falls short of your expectations because you weren't aware of having, of acting in fear when you were. In other words, intention is everything. Intention is primary. 
It's fundamental. It's essential. If you don't know what your intention is, you're still going to create consequences, but they're going to surprise you when you come because you weren't, you'll, you'll discover, you will discover that you did create what you intended, but you didn't, you weren't aware of what your intention was. That's where emotional awareness will always show you when you're in fear mm. or you're in, you're in love. And when you're in fear, your intention is to pursue the old understanding of power as ability to manipulate and control. That's the five sensory understanding. And that now produces only violence and destruction. It used to be good medicine. It used to be the way we evolved. We used to evolve by surviving, and we survived by pursuing external power. Mm. Now we are multi-sensory. We evolve by growing spiritually, and we grow spiritually by creating authentic power, by transforming ourselves with our own emotional awareness and volition. And the goal is to remove, to move beyond the control of within ourselves, every part of our personality that doesn't love, mm. doesn't want to love, doesn't know love, doesn't understand love, mm. that wants to manipulate, that intends to manipulate, that does to the best of its ability, manipulate and control. And here is the answer to your question. When it fails, you experience more pain. And you experience more pain because you were coming from a place of fear, not love. Is that what I'm hearing you say? You experience pain when fear, the energy of fear and the emotional energy that we're calling fear is active in you. Mm. And it's always painful. That's why you experience pain. That's why you, and you can experience it consciously only by setting the intention to. Now, of course, when someone dies and you feel that huge gap in your life and the grief and the loss where someone betrays you or cheats on you, of course, that hurts. But most people don't aren't aware that that is not that experience is not coming from the unchangeable ground of their being. It's coming from a part of their personality. And they have other parts of their personality that hold or perceive or experience these same circumstances differently. And they have the ability to learn how to how to choose one of those grounded, healthy parts of their personality to look at and experience the same situation than the unhealthy, painful, destructive part through which they are currently experiencing it. And that's where the pain comes from. Can you give me an example of a scenario in your personal life, maybe recently or in recent years, where grief, pain, tragedy has struck, or you felt this emotional pain internally from, from whatever situation that's happened, and the process you took on how to tap back into the healthy personality uh, within you to own that authentic power. Can you share an example that- we don't, have enough, we don't have enough time. <laughs> But I'm going to give you one example. Give me one. (laughs) Okay. I was at one time, um, uh, got engaged to be married. I was still addicted to sex. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, by the way, when I was addicted to sex and wasn't aware of anything, uh, I was only drawn to women who I could seduce because Mm -hmm. they were addicted to me. I mean, they were addicted to sex. Uh, In in, in other words, I used to think I was so manly and so many notches on my gun handle, on my my pistol grip, because I was with so many women and and I knew none of them meant anything to me. Mm -hmm. But when I discovered, Lewis, that I didn't mean anything more to them than they meant to me, that's the experience I had. Ooh. That's it. That's when I realized when I stopped smoking a long time ago, I remember looking down at my fingers, these two fingertips, where I held the finger, and I saw they were yellow, and I had that same feeling. Oh, that's ugly. That's what I saw about sexual addiction. It's a mutual. I thought I was preying on the women. They were preying on me. Mm. It was mutual self. It was mutual prey, not P-R-E-Y, mutual preying. And that was what helped me. And that's the example that I want to give you. 
with this uh, woman that I was with, uh, I got to a place in my life where I could begin to see qualities in some of the women I was with. I was still addicted to sex. Their genitals were still the most important thing to me. The size of their breasts, the appearance of their face. If they didn't look like a Playboy model, which was the magazine in the day, they fell short. They're wow. falling short again of my wow. expectation. You should be my partner. Wow. So this woman was aware and she said, you've got a problem. She said, I, the last person I was with was like you and I'm not going to be with another person like you. Mm. So you've got a problem. And my first words were, no, I don't have a problem. I'm just a loving person. Like, um, uh, I'm a loving person. If I'm in a hot tub with a loving woman, we have sex. Isn't that the way everyone does it <laughs> when they become loving? Mm -hmm. That's not a problem, is it? And she said, yes. And you better keep looking at this. And I did. The next step was, well, okay, maybe I've got, maybe this, maybe this is an issue, but it's a little issue. Okay. It's a bigger issue. Okay. It's an issue all the way down to, oh my, I can't stop. I'm out of control. And that's when the work began. And there is a chapter in the seat of the soul on addiction and it uses sexual addiction, but it applies to every addiction. I use that one because it was mine. And also because sexual addiction is the most common addiction in the human experience. But uh, read that chapter in the seat of the soul. Yeah. And I discovered it was a journey and a difficult one. The most difficult I think I've ever made. It was into myself. It was into looking. I, I found, for example, well, I don't think I can do this. And I, and I, I realized I just, dis, I, that's, that disempowers me when I say that. Uh, and then I, I would think, well, is, uh, isn't it possible that I could get a, I could encounter a temptation that's, that's stronger than I can resist? And I realized, yes, I can create that. That's my way of unconsciously giving myself response, uh, permission mm. to behave irresponsibly. And finally, this led me to the place where it was the most frightening, I think, in my life. When I realized the power is in my hands, mm. everything else was gone. The universe wasn't going to reward me or say, nice going or good boy. If I stopped abusing, if I stopped exploiting other people, and it wasn't going to say, oh, you got a long way to go, kid. This is a shape up. It wasn't going to do any of those things. The, the earth school gives you the experiences that you need in a highly personal way. In every interaction, it gives every person involved what they need in exquisite perfection, given the wisdom of what each has chosen in the past. So in this moment, I realize no one's going to blame me. No one's going to thank me. No one's going to judge me. No one's going to say, go ahead and stop or go ahead. It's fun. In fact, it's more than fun. It's it's my only desperate attempt to get relief from the pain of powerlessness for a moment. Mm. And at that moment, the choice was mine. And I knew, by the way, I knew I could continue to learn through this addiction or through this behavior indefinitely. It was all my choice. And that is the choice that every addict reaches eventually. That's why healing and addiction is a remarkable spiritual accomplishment. Mm. And I am in awe of everyone who's done it, whatever the addiction is, because an addiction is a frightened part of your personality, like every other frightened part of your personality, except it's stronger. It's the part that seems completely in the control of the earth school. It's the part that you can't seem to do something about, but it's the same. So you heal it the same way you move beyond the control of any frightened part of your personality. You develop emotional awareness. And then you use it. And then you don't get stuck in it just saying, well, I hurt all the time. Now what? Okay, I hurt, I hurt, I hurt. I'm, I'm, I'm aware, I'm hurt. 
you can stay there for a long time, lifetimes if you want. Mm-hmm. The next step is responsible choice. And these are not sequential steps. You can, they're just what needs to happen in the order that's appropriate for you. As you create authentic power, you become the authority in your life. This experience that I'm describing, I never thought about it in those terms, but that's it. That was the moment. I didn't say, <laughs> now I'm the authority in my life. <laughs> I realized there isn't any other. If I'm going to stop this, I'm going to stop it. And if I'm not, I'm not. And that's all there is to it. Now, I, I want to be, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. No, you were thinking something. What was, what my, was my thought is if someone is addicted to something where they are out of control, they cannot stop the addiction. They don't have the power to stop the addiction in that moment. That's their experience in that moment. And that's, what is that saying about them? If there's the same, addic- but, yeah. Please go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. If there's an addiction, if someone is addicted to something, I mean, I, we're probably all addicted to something, you know, and there could be maybe a positive addiction or a negative addiction, the positive one, like I'm addicted to being of service to people. I feel like if we're going to be addicted to something, it might as well be of contribution to others in a positive way. Um, So for me, that's what I've channeled my energy and and attention into is how can I serve? How can I serve? And also how can I take care of myself uh, so that I'm not, you know, exhausted in my service to other people. Um, But if someone is addicted to something that's harming them, that's hurting them, that's not supporting their growth, what is that saying about the person? Saying they're in pain and the frightened part of their personality is active. But I want to go back to something you said. First of all, I appreciate very much what you were saying. And I I feel I understand uh, your heart and where you're coming from. So this is just a suggestion if you're willing to look at the vocabulary or the way you're expressing it. Yes, bring it. From a new, from a new perspective. You said, I'm, a, um, I'm addicted to everything, so I might as well be addicted to something constructive, essentially, if I understood you. Serving yeah. people. Well, you can't be addicted to love. Addiction is an experience of fear. And I don't think that that's what you're feeling. No, but, you can, but, yeah. but, but, but you can find out. Because if you found out that people, that you're not serving people and you felt pain about that, then you could see that there was a second agenda. Mm. There's a difference between caretaking and caregiving. It looks the same on the outside, a hospice worker, a doctor, a nurse, a parent with a kid, but caretaking is striving to make someone else feel better about themselves so that they'll feel better about themselves. Mm. And there's an easy way to see if you're caretaking or caregiving. Suppose I give a gift to someone. I think this is from my heart. I'm going to go over and say, here, I've just been really appreciating you. Here's uh, here's, uh, here's a dozen roses. I really like these. And she says, oh my God, I thought you knew I was allergic to roses. And I don't like them anyway, because as soon as it gets warm, their petals fall off. So thanks for nothing. <laughs> I really wanted to tell you that what you can really do for me is, and right. if, if you feel <laughs> depleted or angry or and what always comes from with that kind of experience is eventually resentment, yeah. anger, distance, lack of, a, because of the lack of appreciation that was actually the second agenda that you didn't recognize. Mm. Then, you know, fear was involved. So if we, there's a quote, uh, and I just looked it up to make sure I don't butcher the quote, but someone said, I'm not sure if this is the true person who said this, but someone said the true meaning of life is to plant trees under whose shade you do not expect to sit, as opposed to, I'm going to plant this so I can sit under it and, you know, because it now owes me something. But this is what this author, I think it's Nelson Henderson, is saying the true meaning of life is to plant trees under whose shade you do not expect to sit. Exactly. Another intention could be, I'm going to plant it, not because I'm going to 
sit in, under the shade, but because even if I know I'm not going to live that long, people are going to admire me for planting this tree, knowing that mm. I'm not going to be able to sit under the shade. Mm. I'm going to have my name on the tree yes. so that they know that I was the one who planted the tree. Right. I hope someone will carve my initials into this tree, or at least if they can't do that, put a little plaque somewhere on it. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I, I, I don't recognize the name of the person that said that, but he's right on. He's spot on. He's spot on. There's, this is everything behind uh, the Aboriginal wisdom of uh, making all our considerations with the second, with the seventh generation in our hearts. It's, uh, I, I heard a version of that same story where um, someone told, uh, so someone wrote, I, I saw an old man, so old, he only had one tooth hanging out of his top gum and he was planting a seed. And I said, what are you planting? He said, a mango tree. He said, oh, are mangoes good? He said, yeah, they're wonderful. And when this, and, and this ground's going to be covered with mangoes. And then he said, well, are you going to be able to eat them? And the old man said, no, but you will. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals, knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. When you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. Like when you're trying to buy tickets for the best seat at your favorite team's big game or when you're hiring for your business and you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. With ZipRecruiter, you can find qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com greatness. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I believe finding the right team member is one of the most important steps in setting up my company for success. We like to ensure our new hires will be a good fit before they're even on the team. So I am grateful that I have ZipRecruiter's help when we want to grow the team fast. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. What's the difference between living with that intention and also planting food for yourself? Yeah, I'm, pl- I'm planting because I want to, you know, provide for myself, my family. I want to, you know, earn a living. I want my dreams to mature and manifest. What's the difference between those two different scenarios? Everything, everything. And, and is is it is it then bad to w- want and desire for yourself and want to manifest things and attract things and build and create and be rewarded for certain things? Is that a or is that only going to hurt us, hold us back? It is not us. It's you that's holding yourself back or moving yourself in the direction that you want to go. And I suggest that the direction that is most meaningful is the direction that your soul wants you to go. Mm. As you go in that direction, your life fills with meaning. As you go in the opposite direction, meaning empties from your life. That's the myth of Sisyphus, always pushing a boulder up a hill. You got almost to the top and it slips away from you and rolls all the way down. You got to start again forever. So I feel a goodness in you, Lewis. And so I know in most of what you apply these questions to, you're going to find it leads you into meaning. You're doing what you're doing on your podcast because not because you want to get a lot of listeners, not because you want to sell some product. If at first or whenever you needed to sell some product, because that's what you needed to do the podcast, because that's why you were doing the podcast. That's love. 
if you're planting, if you're growing a garden and it just doesn't feel right to you, well, you're not a farmer. You're not supposed to be doing it. If it does feel right with you because you're frightened, it's the only way you can feed your family. Well, then do it for the love of your family, not because you're frightened that the universe isn't ever going to give you enough to eat. I so appreciate your questions because they are the most significant questions that a person can ask. Mm. Why am I here? What's the difference between love and between fear? How can I know? How can I align myself with the highest part of myself that I can possibly imagine or think of? These are questions that we've been asking ourselves since we were a species, five century human Humans ask the same questions. Now we're multi-sensory and we can begin to experience the things that we used to believe, have to believe on faith. Now we can begin to see for ourselves who is responsible for our lives. And I want to say that creating authentic power, the, the final step in creating authentic power is to give your power to a higher power. Mm, what does that look like? There is no higher power than love. So how does one give their power to love? You become it. It's not separate from you anymore. <laughs> That's creating authentic power. That's everything that we've been discussing. As you challenge the fear-based parts of your personality, those are the ones that are painful, that strive to manipulate and control, that create destructive and painful consequences. You move beyond the control of them. And as you do, love enters your awareness. As you do, you, you, you develop a space. You create a space between the impulse and the action. And in that space, you can choose consciously. You become angry. Rage flares in you. And you scan, you look inside yourself, you create that gap and you choose. You have the ability to choose consciously. Then as you do that again and again, that becomes a lifelong meditation, mm -hmm. a heartfulness meditation, because it's leading you to the heart, because the heart is involved in all of it, because you cannot create authentic power without awareness of your emotions. And that requires the heart. And as you do that, love begins to move into your consciousness more and more fully. And, and you find that eventually there's no second agenda. Mm. And that's when your life and meaning are not separate. You don't want to find meaning you are living it. You don't want to give yourself to love. You are love. You don't want to be hopeful. You can only be hopeful if you're frightened that what you're hopeful for isn't going to come. When you create authentic power, you don't have a need for hope. You don't have need for love. You are these things. Wow. This is why we're discussing the most powerful thing that has ever happened to humanity, the shift in the consciousness of humankind itself and the new evolutionary requirement, modality, pathway to become the authority in your own life, to distinguish between love and fear in yourself and choose love all the time. Mm -hmm. No matter what's happening inside you, such as rage or outside of you, such as another 9-11 type event. This is, I'm, I'm loving this conversation. I feel like I'm, I want to talk to you for about 10 hours um, because I could talk about these things forever. I'm curious about if we could give a practical, uh, a tangible experience, uh, example that my audience, I think, could relate to. And one that you've probably had many times. You've written many books. You've got a new book called Universal Human, which we'll talk more about here in a second, but for a lot of my audiences, entrepreneurial minded, they're launching their careers, businesses, dreams, they got side hustles, they're, they've got ideas they want to bring them to life. And I would say there's a number of them that have always had a book idea and some of them are authors and they've written books. So let's give the example of I'm an author, you're an author, the intention of, okay, I'm going to write a book and I want to get this book out there into the world and I want it to do well and I want it to sell a lot of copies and I want it to impact people and, you know, have these expectations. How can we apply this to 
launching an idea or launching a book where we give something our full energy and intention based in love, but we also want it to do well and, and have some type of expectation or we think of some expectation. And what happens if it doesn't do as well as we, as we want? How do we navigate this of like tangible, practical, okay, I'm launching this thing and, I, and there's responsibilities and a publisher and, you know, team, all this, I got to pay for these things. How do we manage that without allowing the overwhelm, the stress, the anxiety, the uh, fear, insecurity hold us back from our true intention of love? Intention is everything. Whatever you do, whenever you do it, in what circumstances, or with whom, or without whom you do it, intention is everything. At this moment, and the next, and the next, which are ultimately the same, intention is everything. That's why creating authentic power is a lifelong meditation. So, let's take your example. Um, you, you, you have a dream. You want to write a book. You want to start a business. Um, want to create a podcast and you're in, and you want to do it to give something constructive. Is there anything wrong with wanting to pay the rent, with needing to feed your family, with uh, needing to pay your producers, with uh, needing to pay the te technicians? Uh, is there anything wrong with uh, being a doctor and charging for your services? Intention is everything. Intention creates your consequences. It's very clear what your intention is, Louis, because I looked you up before I came here, and you have an enormous number of people who listen to the podcast that you produce. There are people who would love to have the audience that comes to listen to you. But if your intention were less than what it is, you wouldn't have that audience. That's a reflection of an intention of love. But are you attached to it? That might be another question you'll have to answer for yourself. What happened if everything turned sour? Would you still want to give? No, it's, I think in your case, I know you would still want to give and might have to take another channel. Mm -hmm. But I'm trying to, but I am, I'm also hopefully illustrating a point. Yeah. And that is that in whatever you do, be aware of your intention. Do the best you can to be aware of it. And if you think you know your intention, ask yourself, why am I doing that? For example, I want to get a better job. I want to get a different job. That's my intention. That's actually an out-tension, you might say. <laughs> why do you want to get a better job? I want to make more money. Why do you want to make... These are questions you're asking yourself. Why do I want to make more money? Mm, I want to buy a Ferrari. Why do you want to buy a Ferrari? I want people to admire me more. Why do you want people to admire me more? I'll get more sex. Why do you want it? And you keep going down and down and down until you get to an intention that is bedrock and you can't get any farther down. And that bedrock intention is going to be love or fear. If you're doing it for yourself, that's fear. If you're doing it because your heart is guiding you, because you're hearing, because you're following meaning, we've spoken in those terms, because you're following meaning, that's coming from love. So if... Uh, for example, now let's take the example you gave. In my life, I wrote this book, uh, Universal Human. What's my intention? The same as it is and has been for every intent, every book that I've written to share. And, and you know, I, this is a moment of grace in my life. When I got invited to that meeting of physicists at LBM, Lawrence Berkeley Laboratory, I, and I got so excited about their conversation. I knew that I wanted to share it. I knew that I wasn't going to be involved in physics indefinitely. And I wanted to give. I wanted to give as a gift to all the people like me, liberal arts majors, people who don't like science, who didn't, didn't like that science, who can't do mathematics and are not interested in mathematics. I want to present it to them as a gift on a platter. Mm -hmm. And I did. Yeah. Now, what I realized was, as I was writing it and afterwards, that was my first gift to life. Everything until that moment was for 
me, 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 me. Mm. Riding the motorcycles, my image, the women, sex for me, the drugs enhance my experiences for me. And my life was one continual. And then when I started to write the book, oh, it was amazing. I would, I made chapters for each outlines for each chapter, but then I threw them away because the energy went somewhere else. And after six months, I had six chapters and I couldn't help but see they fit together like I had planned it. But who planned it? I threw the outlines away and I went where the energy was. That's when I realized, that's when I experienced I'm not alone. And that's when I realized it's not possible to be alone and it's not possible to create alone. Every creation is a co-creation. The ancient Greeks knew that. They called them the muses. Now we have a more accurate term. We can say these are non-physical guides and teachers or we have sort of a pseudo-psychological term, intuition. It's not pseudo anymore. It's real. Mm -hmm. It's a big part of multi-sensory perception. It's the voice of the non-physical world. And I experienced some of that. Never had before. I even told a friend who was a Jungian analyst what was happening. And she said, oh, Gary, don't, don't go there. You don't know what you might be getting yourself into. She was frightened. I knew what I was getting myself into, and I knew I wanted more of it. And I did. I, I, I set the intention then to, I, to live my life as this book was being written spontaneously, intelligently, joyfully. And I've made some progress in that direction, but I had the intention to give this gift. And not only that, it became clearer to me as I wrote it that I was not going to put one ounce's way too big a measurement, nanoparticle of fear into this book. It was precious to be able to spend that much time with a reader up close intimate, sharing things that are worthy and exciting. Mm. I'm not going to contaminate it in any way with the fear that permeated my life elsewhere. And I'd ride for seven or six or seven days, and then all of that would leave. And it would be back to worrying about the monthly miracle of the rent, getting more sex, riding the bike. And then the energy would return, be mm. back to riding again. And I'd wake up thinking about the book. The Dancing Ruly Masters was the name of that book, an overview of the new physics. And I'd go to sleep thinking about the book. Mm. And my friends know Notice this, of course, because I'd never written a book and I never cared for science. And they'd they'd comment on it. And I I thought, here's a way to explain it to them. Suppose that you discovered an island, beautiful, and on this island was someone that you loved going back and being with. Not romantic, not sexual, just good presence. And then after six months, your friends friends say, Gary, take a break. Every time we see you, you're rowing out to that island. Well, that's what a life of joy and meaning and purpose is. So it was the grace that gave me that experience of giving a gift because I wasn't on track to give it. Mm. I was on track to be a withered old man looking for sex from girls that are younger than my granddaughters. And there are a lot of them around, old people who are not satisfied with who they are. But I've got some good some good thoughts for them. You can start now. Mm. Doesn't matter if you're 103. You start now. There's going to be a caretaker coming into your room in a few minutes. How are you going to look at her? How are you going to look at him? How are you going to look at yourself? Is someone stuck here being serviced by a minimum wage person who'd rather be working somewhere else doing something else? Or are you going to look at your life in a way that allows you to see everything differently, including the opportunity of this moment mm. and every moment you have left in the art school? But our listeners now are in various stages of their lives lives and various experiences. So ask yourself, here is a foolproof 
fail-safe way of consulting intuition, of consulting a non-physical teacher. Before you speak or act, ask yourself, what is my intention? And then listen. It may not come at once. You may have to relax yourself. You may have to take a walk into town. You may have to walk by a stream. You have to maybe go see a movie. Not to distract yourself. No, no, not to distract yourself. The answer will come. Imagine that as soon as you ask the question, the answer is pouring into you. The answer will come. Now, what are you going to do? So I had, in the days when I was writing The Dancing Woolly Masters, I had a friend who was a, a, a professor at a college in physics, and he knew before we had talks. I couldn't have talks like this then. I didn't know any of this. But he knew that he didn't want to be a professor anymore. He wanted to do something else. And his wife did not like the idea. In fact, it, it destroyed the life that he had. She didn't like the idea of uh, not being the wife of a professor. She didn't like the idea of not having the social security. She didn't like not having uh, the faculty club. She didn't like the prestige, but he knew he had to do something else and they divorced. So whatever it is you're doing, look and ask, look inside and ask yourself, what is my intention? Now, it may be that you are so excited about something, you've got to start up. And this is something the Silicon Valley has never even dreamed of. This baby is going to fly. <laughs> Still, ask yourself, what is my intention? Do I want to emulate someone who's the richest person in the world? Is this really what I want to do? And it may be a part of you that says, yeah. Well, ask yourself, is it coming from love or is it coming from fear? And if you say, yeah, I'm coming from love, get out of the way. I'm on the road. Do it. Because whatever you choose in the earth school, you will learn from. You cannot make a wrong choice in the earth school. Mm. Um, all roads lead to home. Some are longer and more difficult. <laughs> yeah. Others are more direct and joyful. Don't worry about making a wrong choice. Don't worry about anything. Just be aware. Look at what your t intention is to the best of your ability and know that if you're acting in fear, it's not going to bring you to the fulfillment and the gratitude that you want. It may bring you to an estate that covers 50 acres. It may bring you prestige for people who would like to emulate what you do. But will you be satisfied mm. when you, by the way, death is not what we think it is as five sensory humans and as multi-sensory humans, we know it's something very different. I, I heard a wise uh, channeled entity once say to the question, uh, tell me is, tell me about death. And the entity said, it's entirely safe. Uh, that's what we see. That's what we see. So do your best. If you have an idea and it's gripped you and you want to bring it into being, do it. But be aware of your intention. So what do you, yeah. And what do you think is more dangerous for us, holding on to an attachment that we have or holding on to an identity? They're the same. You hold on to anything. It's fear. The purpose of creating authentic power, like we discussed is to go through life, be able to, with an empowered heart, without attachment to the outcome. And if you look at your heroes, the way I look at mine, Gandhi, Christ, Martin Luther King Jr., they knew how to do this. Gandhi set an intention and he held it with firmness and conviction to the moment the first of those three bullets entered his body. And when they did, the first thing he said was the name of God. He said, Ram, that intention was his life. Was he attached to it? I don't think so. I think he was attached to doing what he, I think attached again is the wrong word. I believe following and committed, committed, completely committed, undoubtedly committed, unquestionably committed. Martin Luther King Jr. is the same thing. 
A favorite story I remember about Gandhi is in the later days when the fruit was beginning to fall from the tree, uh, the viceroy called him into his palace, his mansion, on instructions from London. And Gandhi was in a British prison at that time. And Gandhi came into the, to the mansion wearing dirty prison clothes. And the first thing he said in this palatial setting was, um, Your Excellency, I understand that I have done many things that must have been an irritant to you, but I hope that will not stand between us as men. He never lost his connection with life. He never blamed anyone. The viceroy was the one who signed the orders that brutalized, exploited, and killed Indians. But Gandhi's issue was not with the viceroy. It was with the policy that exploited hundreds of millions of Indians. Can you do that in your life? Can I do that in my life? That's what I ask myself all the time, and I strive for it. That book that you held up, Universal Humans, I worked on that for 33 years. Wow. Yeah, it worked on me for 33 years. <laughs> and neither one of us are finished, but I'm giving you in this moment the best that I've got, and that book will also. So commitment, yes, that's one of the requirements for creating authentic power. It's the first requirement, commitment. By the way, you can go to our website, theatofthesoul.com, and download the Authentic Power Guidelines. Each of these guidelines has specific guidelines within them, but the major guidelines are, the, the, the categories are commitment, courage, compassion, conscious communication and action. Whenever you're attached, you're experiencing fear. And if you don't get what you're attached to, if the frightened part of your personality does not get what it's attached to, you will experience pain again. Mm. This is not bad. To anyone listening or watching us, this is not bad. This is not good. This is your life. And the only way to change it is to change your life. And what we've been discussing, Lewis and I and all of us here, is how to do that. Now, there's countless ways to challenge a frightened part of your personality. You can meditate. You can chant. You can read a song. You can sing a song. You can teach a child. It's boundless. Your creativity is boundless. But what's operating is love, the choice of love. That's what changes you. Everything I've described about creating authentic power, you will see others explaining in their own way, in their own time, the same, the same bare bones structure. In order to transform yourself, you need to become aware of what it is in yourself that you want to transform. Number two, you need to have the will. You need to use your free will to do it, to change it. And as you're multi-sensory, you have ability to access your intuition for how to do that the best. But no matter what framework of transformation people will present that reg resonates with you, if it really works for you, if it resonates, if it works for anyone, you'll see this structure. It's got to be awareness. Not all of the suggestions that people give have these things. That's why I suggest that you experiment. Yeah. And I suggest you be skeptical. Right. Cynicism is not, I, I don't suggest that, but skepticism is good. Asking questions like we talked about, can that be? No, oh, come on. Can that really happen? <laughs> Let me see. Let's look at that more. I'm going to try that out myself because when I talk about authentic power, I'm suggesting it to you, not in the way of saying this is the answer to your life. I'm saying experiment with it. See if you can twist it, bend it, jump up, jump up and down on it. See if you can break it. You can't. You can't because the people that Linda and I have been blessed to be with who come to our events, who read the books, who listen to events, they come to a place where they realize, oh my God, this is not, this is not a new, this is not a new technique. This is not an idea. This is not a philosophy. This is my life. This is my life that I'm experimenting with. And they begin to go far beyond that. And we can talk about this at other times. But for example, you begin to realize that what you're engaged in is far more than self-improvement and self-transformation. Everything you do is not only self-changing, it's world-changing. 
I don't know about you, but when around 3 p.m. hits, I find myself craving the right refreshment to get me through that mid-afternoon slump. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea is full-flavored sweet tea, but without the sugar and the calories. It might take several bottles for you to believe that a delicious sweet tea can really have zero sugar and zero calories. But you know what they say, life is full of surprises. Or in this case, full of flavor. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea. Try it to believe it. For 20% off your next 12-pack, head to Amazon and use promo code 20PUREleaf. That's promo code 20PUREleaf for 20% off. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've learned the hard way that constantly holding on to your emotions and repeatedly choosing to not talk about your feelings will only make you feel worse and worse. And up until about 10 or 11 years ago, I was afraid to talk about my trauma that I experienced. And I know we all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. But therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to fit your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Lewis today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash L-E-W-I-S. The world is not going to change until you change. Now, this is something that will light red lights by the hundreds of thousands of any of our listeners who are still using their intellect as their main guidance vehicle through life. The intellect is designed to work closely with the five senses. It analyzes, compares, deduces, and reports the most effective ways to pursue external power, manipulating control. And like I say, this used to be good medicine. It's now toxic. As we become multisensory, the intellect cannot follow. It's not designed to move into multisensory perception. I mean, five sensory perception in a way it, it can't grasp, it can't compute. And to communicate and articulate multisensory perception requires the higher order of logic and reasoning or understanding of the heart. So there are many things that you'll you'll see and be able to articulate as you begin to use your multisensory perception, which is a gift. It's a gift. You don't have to develop it, although we will, like we develop cognition. But all you have to do is unwrap it and use it. Yeah, look at yeah. look at your experiences. Sometimes you know things about people that your five senses didn't tell you. You just know. That's a multisensory perception. And you can use all of these things, and you will. And I suggest that you do. And you use all of what we've talked about to answer the big questions that you've just brought up, Lewis. And the and the, the last one was very practical. So you asked for a practical example from my life. And, and let me, and let me I'm going to ask another question while you answered that, because I think yeah. this might cue it up. And I think my, a lot of my audience loves this conversation around the law of attraction. And I'm curious, what is your thoughts on attachment versus the law of attraction and using the intention of love to create something and attract into your life without being attached to the result? <laughs> What's your thoughts on that? The law of attraction is is as simple as you as you described it, or I think as you were describing it. Energy attracts like energy. That's the law of attraction. Remember I told you when I was in the coffee shop talking about whether we create the reality that we're discussing and experimenting with, and that I was with people like me. They were intellectual, arrogant, superior, mm. judgmental. I didn't notice it at the time. I thought they were good guys. <laughs> 
if, if, if your experience is that life is a brutal doggy dog world, that's the world you're going to live. You're living in. If you are loving, that's the world you're going to live in. That's the law of attraction, uh, and it's accurate. If if you think I'm going to use the law of attraction because I'm going to get more money, recognition, love, sex, fixes, whatever it is, you're going to draw more people with exactly that energy. Mm-hmm. That's the law of attraction. Now, as you can see, it's one of the great non-physical dynamics that affect the Earth school, and the other is the law of cause and effect, which in East is the East is called karma. Karma is a is a message delivery system. Whenever you act with an intention, that intention creates consequences. And those consequences will affect other people. And when other people experience those consequences, you will experience what they experience. Now, let me give you a concrete example. Suppose you betray someone. Like some people have told me of uh, someone not showing up at a wedding. Others have told us, I did that. Or I wish I had. I was walking down the aisle and I knew I shouldn't be doing this. I knew it. Wow. I did anyway. And now 30 years later, we're getting divorced and I, I paid the price of not listening to my intuition. Mm. And other people have never forgiven someone who didn't show up at the wedding. Mm. So these are examples of betrayal. You, If you do that, you will experience betrayal. But it may not come in the same terms, in the same package that you're expecting. For example, a platoon leader may abandon you in combat. Someone you've gotten to know, your bookkeeper, embezzles from you. You may not recognize the wrapping, but when it comes, you'll recognize what's in the package. The same experience that your choices of intention created in someone else. So that's why we can look at the universal law of cause and effect as a message delivery system. Whenever you choose an intention of love or fear and you act on it, you send a message. And on that message, the address on that message is return to sender. Mm. And it always comes back to you with precision. It doesn't matter if you move. It doesn't matter if you die. It doesn't matter. You will get the message. The universal law of cause and effect is the universal impersonal teacher of responsibility. And that the companies stand side by side with the law of attraction. People who are five sensory say, I'll believe it when I see it. People who are multi-sensory know, I'll see it when I believe it. Let me get, can I give you a story that illustrates the law of attraction? Yes. All right. So it's a couple, young couple is driving through Vermont in foliage and it's gorgeous. And they see an old man rocking on his porch. So they decide they want to interact and they stop the car and I walk up to him and I said, what are people like who live here? And the old man said, well, what are they like where you come from? And then the couple thought and I said, well, they're not very forgiving. They're pretty hard people. Um, they all want what they can get. And the old man said, yeah, well, people are they're pretty much like that here too. Shortly after, another couple drove by the same house, talked to the same old man and they said, ask the same question. What are the people like who live here? The old man asked them the same question. <laughs> what are they like where you come from? And they said, oh, they're, they're forgiving. They're loving. They're good neighbors. They care about one another. And the old man said, mm, people here are much like that too. That's the law of attraction. But once you know the law of attraction, you know that your energy is continually attracting people to you. That reflects your energy. They're not commenting on it. They're not judging it. It's like the law of cause and effect doesn't comment on your messages. It doesn't discuss them. It just delivers them. And the law of attraction doesn't show you what's better or what's worse. It shows you you. And as we become multisensory, we begin to experience these things directly and to experiment with them. Gary, I would love to do mm-hmm. another interview or multiple interviews in the future if you're down. Um, but I want to ask the final couple questions uh, and wrap things up here in a few minutes. And before I ask the final few questions, I want to let everyone know that they got to <laughs> get this book, A Universal Human, Creating Authentic Power and the and the New Consciousness. And uh, if you want to learn about authentic power and how to master that for yourself and how to navigate and explore and test things out and see what works for you, then I highly recommend you get a few copies of this 
book, one for yourself and one for a few friends. And you can get The Seed of the Soul as well, which is, I think, sold 6 million copies, number one New York Times bestseller for many, many months, and uh, all the other books that you have. But this book- Three years. Three years on the New York Times list. Yes, 31, but only when 31 weeks is number one. Okay, only 31, you know, yeah, <laughs> it's okay. Thank you for uh, this generosity. It's, of course. It, it's, I, I want to tell people, to, to get Universal Human, you can- uh, go to universalhuman.com. It's a pre-order page, and I think they're shipping now. The book is released soon, but you'll get a glimpse of what our website's going to look like shortly. Awesome. And you also have, if you go to seatofthesoul.com, you do uh, virtual experiences and workshops where people can get a, be a part of these as well, and so they can learn about oh, that. Yes, indeed. Oh, I'm so glad you reminded me of that. We have one of the last workshops of this type we're going to give, and we're going to give it in July, mid-July. It's called the Journey to the Soul Retreat. It's a five-day format. And this will probably be the last time we'll give it in that format. This is going to be a virtual a virtual event in this five-day format. And I know there's a lot of you that have been to our events. And if you, and they're all different, by the way. <laughs> there's never an event that's been the same. Sure. So if you want to come to this Journey to the Soul uh, in, in its um, five-day format, but especially, especially, I say it the third time, designed for not remote interactions, but intimate reactions that will amaze you, mm. amaze you at how intimate they can be mm. online. And I want to tell you why they'll amaze you, partly because we do a lot of pre-thought to how we can create an intimate experience out of an online experience or into and that's number one, but that's not the important one. The important one is this. The internet itself expresses connectivity. Five sensory individuals think the internet brings us together, that it connects us. Multi-sensory humans know that the appearance of the internet into the earth school is a reflection of our growing awareness of how much we are connected. And this means that the potential for intimacy is enormous. So don't think that it isn't. Don't think that you're getting sick. If someone just tries to transfer something from live in person to live online, it might not work. But if they really have the heart and they design it, and here in 10, again, intention is everything. And I'm not talking, anyway, we've talked about yeah. intention, but the internet and our electronic communications capability are reflections in the earth school of yeah. our expanding consciousness. You're not going to be able to meet all the soul. By the way, we're all soulmates. So don't think a soulmate is one person you're going to go home and live with for the rest of your life. I hope that that person for you and for her or him is a spiritual partner because then you're in for quite an experience. Yeah. So seatofthesoul.com where they can learn more about that and, and learn about the workshops and books and everything else. And uh, your 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 podcast, uh, Lewis, and, and however you're going to use this, I, I, I want to say it clearly, is an expression of how it, it points in the direction of how intimate our wide, our scaled use of electronic communications can be. It's not a limitation. It doesn't always have to be just functional. In fact, everything that's just functional has an intention behind it. Yeah. And we are entering wonderful territory as multi-sensory humans. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, this is a question I ask everyone at the end of the show. It's called the three truths question. So I'd like you to imagine a hypothetical scenario <laughs> that it is your last day on earth many, many years away from now. And you, uh, you live the rest of your life doing exactly what you want, accomplishing, living, being, experiencing how you want to experience it. But for whatever reason, Gary, you, in this hypothetical scenario, you've got to take all of your written audio and video work with you to the next place. So no one has access to your books 
books anymore, your content, this interview, it all goes with you to the next place. Uh, but you have a piece of paper and a pen and you get to leave behind three lessons to the world or three things you know to be true that you would want to share with the world. I call it the three truths. What would you say are your three truths? I would put the paper and pen down. It's not going to help. <laughs> okay. um, none of the things that I'm writing or suggesting, although some of them, all of them at heart are timeless. Mm -hmm. they're, they're all time stamped, you might say. It's how, when my granddaughters, our granddaughters, uh, read The Seed of the Soul or Universal Human, they'll probably appreciate it. But when their granddaughters read it, I know what they're going to say. They're going to say, well, I thought grandpa was supposed to be a visionary. There's nothing visionary in this. What did he say that isn't evident? That's what's going to be their experience. That's going to be their potential. I don't know what will be their experience because no one knows, not even your non-physical teachers, what you're going to create in your tomorrows with your choices. So what you will do, the only thing you can do, if you reach that place where you are aware when your soul is going home, because death is not the catastrophic thing, it's simply the decision of your soul to return home to non-physical reality at a time of its choosing, accommodating circumstances that are occurring in the earth school. If by then you are creating authentic power, that's my goal. It is doable. I know it is. Uh, because I'm creating it more often than I ever have before. I've seen my life and my world and myself transform from someone who was addicted to sex, exploiting people, needing, 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 into more and more enjoying giving, thinking about other people. So in answer to your question, at that point, if you create authentic power, you'll model it. That's all you can do. Yeah. Because in that is the appearance within your awareness of appropriateness, of how to interact with the world, with the person who's in front of you. I will say this, if the person who's in front of you at that moment does not command your respect, you're not creating authentic power. Mm. If you're not reverent, that, that's different from respect too. If, if, if your reverence doesn't extend to that person, and if it extends to one person, it'll extend to everyone, then what you say, what you do in that moment will be appropriate for that person and for you. And you can start doing that now. That's called creating authentic power. It's beautiful. Gary, I, I want to acknowledge you. I've got one final question, but before I, before I ask it, you I want just to said that. You just said that two <laughs> questions ago. Exactly. So now I have one final question. <laughs> and, and I want to acknowledge you for, for constantly showing up and, and being, a, being a humble servant and showing up for the world and, and creating uh, works like this book that can support us and help us gain more clarity on our direction in our life. And so I really acknowledge you for, for being a great leader uh, in the world and showing up in an authentically powerful, loving way. And my final question is, what is your definition of greatness? Oh, we've been talking about it again and again. Five sensory humans think that the greatest things are those that affect the most people. Multi-sensory humans know that the greatest things are the smallest. It's the decision that you make in a moment of tenderness to remain tender mm -hmm. instead of harden up again. It's the decision you make when you're angry not to express yourself in anger. It's the decision you make when you act to give something that you don't want to give without second agenda. That's a big decision. This is a life of greatness and creating authentic power brings you into it. You don't know where that life will take you. I do not believe in my heart of hearts that Gandhi ever held or even held at the end of his life the desire to be appreciated or approved, even though an entire nation called him Bapu, beloved, the, the beloved Mahatma, great soul. Or it may take you into uh, having a family. It may take you, as it's doing now, into using the ephemeral tools of 
electronic communication and connection in a way that satisfies you deeply and also informs you. It helps you to grow because look at the conversations you're having, hundreds, thousands of conversations and all of them in which I feel that you are offering to your guest the potential of going as deep, as deeply as they feel is appropriate and offering the depth of the gifts that they have and are able to give. And if they're not doing that, then my guess is that you treat them uh, reverently or at least respectfully and listen to them and allow them to express themselves and express your differences with integrity. My Sioux uncle told me once, he said, Donshka, nephew, always listen to whatever anyone is telling you, even if you think they're crazy. Because, And I've never forgotten that. And Carl Jung said, the great Swiss psychologist, contemporary of Sigmund Freud, he said, if someone can explain to me what they're experiencing and why they're saying and what they're saying and doing, that person is not crazy. In other words, that person is worth listening to. Gandhi didn't believe the Viceroy. I don't believe, I don't share the same beliefs as as many people in the Earth School, but we're all students in the Earth School, Lewis, and no one's path through the Earth School is less complex or challenging or painful or difficult or pregnant with potential as your own. And I feel that's what your podcast and and you've been drawn to, the school of greatness. That is a good way to describe the earth school. Not that everyone in it is great in the five sensory perception, but that everyone in it, as they become multi-sensory and they find the joy and fulfillment of meaning, they move themselves toward greatness, but they don't think in, in terms of greatness anymore. Gary, this has been an inspiration. I'm so grateful for your time today. Thank you for being here. I hope we can have you come back on sometime in the future and talk more about all these expansive ideas and make sure people, you guys get universal human. It's going to inspire you. It's going to help you a lot. So make sure you check it out. Gary, thank you again so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. For me, it was so inspired by his wisdom, by all the lessons, and really just opening up about the different addictions he's gone through and the challenges he's had in his past and all the things he did to hurt himself and others as well. I thought that was really real and inspiring to see how he's come out of that. Again, if this is your first time here, click the subscribe button right now if you enjoyed this episode to stay up to date over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And leave us a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to improve and want to get a feedback on what you enjoyed most out of this episode. Also, those ratings and reviews really help us spread the message to more people over on Apple platforms. So leave a rating and review and let us know what you enjoyed the most about this episode. And I want to leave you with this quote from Rhonda Byrne, who said, there is a truth deep down inside of you that has been waiting for you to discover it. And that truth is you deserve all good things life has to offer. Yes, you do, my friend. And if no one has told you lately, I'm going to remind you that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. While no one knows what tomorrow may bring, Bridgestone is working toward a more positive outlook. With innovations like developing a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials. It's just one of the many ways Bridgestone is making a difference today, for generations to come. Because that's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more.